Here we go, here we go, here we go. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is shown in our hearts, gives us the light of the knowledge of Christ in his holy face, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Christ our God, who was transfigured on the mountain and manifested your glory to the disciples as they were able to bear it, shed your everlasting light on us, your servants, that we behold your glory and enter into your sufferings, and proclaim you to the world who gives light to darkness and is yourself the light of men. Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, good deal. Here you go. If you got money, put it in there. We'll buy donuts for the people in Ghana. And uh, just kidding. Uh, sign your name on there because then we know when to find you. There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, questions about anything? Got questions? Uh, okay, good. You know, I always, I never quite know what's going to happen until I get here. I once had an old lady who was very kind to me. She used to make me cookies. She kind of mothered me. It's nice being a young pastor. Uh, when, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's very nice. Some people kind of, kind of mother you a little bit. And uh, she was a very nice woman. She'd always write me cards. She'd make me cookies. She wasn't particularly well, but um, one day she came and said, "I'm leaving." I, you're leaving. I mean, this is like, you know, what do you do with that? You don't have a clue what to do. I'm leaving. And why are you leaving? Well, her son had married a Catholic woman, and the Catholic woman said, you know, you can't see your son again until you, unless you turn Catholic. Now, normally that's what you want to work out before the wedding, but <laughs> people don't always, you know, get things in the right order, as you know. So then uh, I said, yeah, but you're I mean, I said, you're not Catholic. This is the first time I'd ever heard this phrase. She said, I'm going to be a cafeteria Catholic. Do you know that phrase? Yeah. Cafeteria Catholic. She said, I've never heard this phrase before. I'm like, a cafeteria Catholic? What's that? She said, I'm going to take what I want and just leave the rest. It's like going to Bishop's Cafeteria in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Okay, you've been to Bishop's? We should take a road trip. You just take what you want and leave the rest behind. Well, um, you know, part of the reason we're doing this with Galatians and James is, you know, we're not cafeteria Catholics or cafeteria Lutherans, you know. What we want to do is, um, and I do feel like often this congregation is a Ferrari stuck in second gear. There's just so much we could get out of you. Um, but we, you know, uh, there's some things you just don't talk about in families, right? Sex, money, doing good works. So, uh, you know, it's good to talk about that every once in a while, especially because... Jesus not only talked about it, Jesus was one long good work. And I know that makes us nervous. And, uh, you know, immediately, if you're born Lutheran, you have a knee that jerks, you know. As soon as somebody says good works, you think they're talking about being saved by good works, which is not what we're talking about at all. As I said last week, we're presuming you're all saved. Um, you know, salvation isn't really the issue for this, for this hour. You're just with the Eucharist, you got forgiven, you're going to heaven. The question is, uh, as it was for Peter and James and John, how much can the Lord get out of you along the way? And it's so critically important for you to remember that the church is not about you. I mean, everybody loves the Great Commission and they kind of spout it off. But, um, you know, Jesus is very clear about you go in your going, in your going, it's actually a part of simple, in your going, you give everything to everybody and teach them to treasure it up. Everything to everybody. And so, uh, you know, Pastor Gating went long out of his way to try to show you 
how being connected with Jesus, how, how, as the scriptures say, bearing Jesus in your body actually makes a difference when you engage people. You engage them as Jesus and not as yourself. Now, um, that does, you know, that does get people going a little bit sometimes, but, um, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. That's who Jesus is, and, and uh, you know, the pastor's task is, and your task as a Christian is to engage the whole counsel of God. Um, and then I was musing last week a little bit, you know, how we, we sort of ran it kind of at the same time. We ran into places where um, uh, both Paul and James kind of spoke harshly at the same time to, to their congregations. Galatians, you fools, you know, Galatians chapter 3. Or, um, golly, I mean, James, James says to him, you know, if you don't show your works, you're not going, you, you, you don't have any faith and you're not going to heaven. Or later in chapter 4, he says to his congregation, you unfaithful creatures, you kill, you covet, you know, you, uh, you fight. And in chapter 5, he says, you weep and howl, you know. So I was kind of musing last week about what if I said to you, you know, you fools, weep and howl. And um, it's a lot like parenting, I guess, in some ways, you know. Uh, there's always, the tra- you're trying to find that balance about, um, you know, you know, we know kids who have, their parents have just pounded them, and what they learn from that is to pound other people. And we, we, we know parents who have let their kids do whatever they want because they confuse love with license. And to, you know, do whatever you want is not no way to love somebody. That's a way to destroy yourself. That's what the story of Eden. So, you know, like parenting in the church, you know, the goal is always to find that space uh, where it's a proper application of law and gospel. We don't do that, we do do this. The trouble for us is, um, and especially in a more well-to-do place, we regularly judge by what we feel or what we think individually rather than what Christ feels or what Christ says in the church. So I was musing today after the Eucharist uh, one of the really good reasons to have a crucifix, it's back there now. Um, one of the reasons, one of the re- a crucifix has a body on it. One of the really good reasons to have a body on the cross. And I was just kind of thinking, if you don't want that life, you should be in another religion. The, the Christian life is the cruciform life. It is suffering for other people. Which means then that um, you have to be extraordinarily careful about what you call right and wrong, because right and wrong has very little to do with your own emotion or your own suffering. Jesus is totally right, and in about six weeks we're going to see him totally destroyed. So, you, you know, your, your emotion and mine, your judgment and mine, um, really is not what matters. What matters is how Jesus speaks. And so often, uh, you know, in our age, you know, we've, we've gone on about how we kind of like the postmodern age because it, it, there's an openness. The, the, the one thing about postmoderns that, they, that they've maintained is the individualism that they can decide to, who's right and who's wrong all by themselves. And of course, you know, as scripture says, no scripture is a matter of private interpretation. No scripture. You can't say, no person, no human being can say, I've cornered the market. Well, you say this, but I say that. Mm -mm. No scripture is a matter of private interpretation. 
What's important is the interpretation of the community, and especially, as you know, it's the, com it's the broad community um, that's headed by Christ, but also all the saints who have gone before you, really smart people, people who have died for the faith, which probably you and I will never do. They, you learn something when they're skinning you alive. It's a very good teacher. It focuses you. You know, when you're being taken to the lions, that, that really kind of crystallizes what you think. We should pay attention to people like that um, and just be very, very careful um, about being too much on our own. So I, um, I, tried to, I tried to put some things together that would move you in that direction. Uh, we'll see whether or not it'll be successful or not. I've got the same handout as last week. Does anybody need that? We only did a page or two. Anybody need that? I got scads of them. Now, Heather, if you're here, I'll take it. Donna, will you help me, please? If I wanted to say one thing last week, what I wanted to say to you is you can't cut Jesus in half. Um, and so often, uh, you know, this is a particularly Lutheran ill. We cut Jesus in half. That is, we'll have his uh, justification, but we won't have his sanctification. We'll have his incorporation, but we won't have his participation. You know, we'll have uh, his gospel, but we won't have his, uh, his law in any way. We'll have his faith, but we won't have his works. And if we learned anything in Epiphany, you know, what we learned is that Jesus just keeps going out and doing works and doing works and bringing people back and doing works. So I tried to give you um, a definition last week of incorporation as being drawn into Christ, and then participation as being drawn into the life of Christ. And one of the great holdups for Lutherans is they don't know how to think about law and gospel. And I just, I'll just tell you, if you, a very wise man taught me this, and it makes all the difference. If you get this, Lutheranism and Luther all works. If you don't get this, you're always in this place where you can never quite get the pieces to fit together. So th this is extraordinarily important, that every word can be said two ways a law way and a gospel way. And you remember I described that last week as Jesus in Eden. There is no law and gospel in Eden. There's just Jesus. And he walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. After the fall, there is this double thing going on. If you'll walk again with Jesus, that is pure gospel. And if you flee him or resist him, that's the law. And there'll be another day when he comes again and puts it all back together and there'll be neither law nor gospel. Because law and gospel are descriptions of how that one word enters and works in the world. So law primarily demands and gospel gives. Law measures, condemns, damns, hurts. Gospel blesses, forgives, heals, propels, loves, forgives. And you need to keep those two things um, straight. If you don't keep those straight, that's the reason why you can be a Christian and still be a sinner. Somebody asked at the end how that could happen last week. The reason you'd be a Christian and still be a sinner is that you're baptized and Jesus lives in you, but like the leper from last week or the, the disciples in Gethsemane, you know, every once in a while we just get a better idea. We wander away. 
I mean, sin is, sin is very simple. You just say to God, I've got a better idea. Um, you know, this, this brilliant little thing that's not my own came from somebody else who said Adam and Eve didn't eat because they were hungry. They ate because they had a better idea, okay? So what I'm trying to get you to avoid is having better ideas. The problem is, is regularly, especially in Wheaton, things get individualized and things get judged on emotion and things get judged in feeling. More specifically, you know, one of the great things I've stumbled into is my confirmation pastor didn't teach me that. That's a little like saying, you know, my English teacher didn't teach me about participles or prepositions in eighth grade. Now, of course, Ms. Duff, as you know, everybody knows all the science they need to know by eighth grade. There's no point in taking science in high school, which is why America is now like 932nd in science in the world, right? Because, I mean, eighth grade science is all, that's all anybody would, there's no point. In fact, I'm going to call my daughter this afternoon and tell her to drop out of that calculus class. Because, I mean, she didn't get that at St. John, so why would anybody need that? Why in the world, then, do you think that what you learned from your confirmation pastor in eighth grade is enough for you to go through the rest of your life? I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that works. So, you know, it's this constant thing of trying to learn more and invoking your confirmation pastor or yourself or some commentary or I never heard it that way before. Basically, what you're saying to me is stop thinking. Don't think. Don't do anything new. It's what, you know, we colloquially call dead orthodoxy, which is you just keep repeating the same answers over and over again, hoping they'll stick. Guess what? Especially in this age, nobody cares. So you have to find a way to let people care because your job is to take everything to everybody. So you have to always be thinking, always be applying, always putting faces with theology, always making law and gospel specific, and always being sure you're not on your own. Last thing, just as the introduction. I am well aware uh, that, that you can read the Bible in all different ways. I'm, I'm well aware of that. It's just basic hermeneutics. I taught it at Princeton. I mean, I'm well aware of that. Every once in a while, somebody comes in and tells me, you know, are you aware of this? And I'm like, I was aware of that. So here's the thing. At ordination, we promise, we know that you can read the scriptures a lot of ways. We promise to read them in the way of the Lutheran confessions. Um, we, promise, we promise to be Lutheran. I can remember when I came early here, I said that Christ is the Eucharist. It's basic stuff. I mean, you saw it there at Luther today. When the word comes to the element, it's the body and blood of Jesus. I don't know if you know, somebody actually said I was a heretic because I said that. And I said, that's really interesting because I just taught that class at the seminary. In fact, I had just taught it at the seminary. But, um, well, no, my friends say. I'm like, yeah, well, your friends aren't members here, and it makes no difference. I'm well aware that people deny it's the body and blood, but it um, doesn't make them right. It's not a democracy. The church is not a democracy. The church is a listening. The church is an ear. The church is a follower. The church is obedient. The church is authority. So here's what I hope you can do when you see Jesus moving through Lent. I hope that you could, for example, see Jesus' obedience today in the Transfiguration story as pure gospel. I mean, if you think that Jesus wants to go down the mountain next week and get nailed to a cross, you haven't come to grips with the full humanity of Jesus. I can just tell you, he does not want to go down the mountain. Nobody wants to be hung up to suffocate and have the birds peck your eyes out and be stark naked in the Middle Eastern sun and left there, um, scourged till, you know, the metal bits have gone down to your bone. Nobody wants that, but he did it, and it was pure gospel. 
See, we, we, don't, we have to ask ourselves what Jesus says about the word obedience. What does Jesus say about the word authority? We're going to talk about that. We may not get to it today. But we're going to talk about uh, what, does Jesus, what does Jesus mean by that? And what Jesus means is this is life. You know, this is life. And we probably need to talk a little bit about what pastors do. I mean, sometimes Lutherans are a little bereft on this, but they forget that it goes father, son, apostles, pastors. And that your pastor is a fleshly presence in your midst to speak the word of God. Okay? And that, you know, that takes some sorting out because I don't know if you know um, pastors are fallible. But they're not fallible right at the point where you're irritated by them calling you on your sin. Augustine once said, the only people who think the sixth commandment is figured, if thou, don't, thou shalt not commit adultery, is people who are having affairs. Right? So what you have to do, and what pastors have to ask for, and we're going to talk about this later, is always have a text in your hand. But have a text in your hand and read it in the way of 2,000 years of church history. Read it in terms of Jesus first, but then read it in terms of how the church has talked. And uh, that protects you then from any individualized reading of the text. And you see, then that's important because we're in kind of difficult times right now. You know, we had this, you know, we're short on money. We have these commitment cards. There's all kinds of pushing and pulling. What are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the first answer. It's just stuff. So try to relax. In your own life and in our church life, it's just stuff. It's not people. First the people, then the things. But second, um, you know, just kind of, just, just try to step back from it and listen to what Jesus says about it and try to get it law and gospel right. And then, um, you know, it's probably going to work out. It's probably going to work out. What you want to do is be able to have all sorts of, um, gathered up all sorts of good ideas into the orbit of Christ uh, and then follow him without breaking each other. That's what you're trying to do. And it's, it's more difficult, you know, when things are, I know, man, everybody's nervous, and I, I've seen people over the past month who uh, have never been nervous, be nervous to the point of tears. I might get that. It's a tough time right now. Relax. The Eucharist is still here. You're going to be fine. Okay? Just relax. Questions about anything I said last week? Um, some of you thought I was a bit stern last week. Uh, you know, I probably was. Um, I apologize for that, for the, for the tone, but not for what I said. It's, I get passionate, and it, uh, you know. And I also think a pastor's job, real honestly, is to be blunt. <clears throat> I'm always surprised when people say, what did you mean by that? And the answer is, I meant exactly what I said. Now, normally that can be, you know, obviously it's not enough to be right. You have to be good too. And that's something we all struggle with. But um, the other thing is, is the higher the stakes, the clearer you have to be, and the more uh, direct your action needs to be. You know, if you've had a heart attack, you know, you don't want people, like, wandering around deciding, you know, what are they going to do, or maybe it's this. Maybe it could be the measles. I don't know. We should treat for that. And the other thing is, is when you go to the emergency room, you don't take the first guy you see. Because I've been in the emergency room a lot with my kids. Sometimes, usually, the first guy I see is the security guy and a guy with a mop and a bucket. We normally go right past them to the people who have sutures. Okay? We normally just keep moving until we feel we find somebody who knows what they're doing. Not that mopping floors isn't great. Mopping floors, I mean, if you don't mop your floors, that's the end of you. But, uh, you know, find the people who can help you with what you've got. Okay? So we all need to kind of do that.
Are you okay? There's questions about that? But you got to hold that basic, you got to hold first Christ, and then how Christ comes as law and gospel. If you resist him, he's law to you. If you're with him, he's gospel to you. He's utterly forgiving. And, you know, you can, you can buck him a long time. He, works, he worked really hard in the font to save you, and he works really hard at the Eucharist. You've got you to gotta, you gotta really, you really come at him to shake him, which is why, you know, when you do things, you get forgiven and you move on because, you know, it's very hard to shake him. You can do it, but don't. The only time you shake him is when you kind of willfully engage evil repeatedly. And at, at some point, you know... Um, you can get to the evil point where uh, it's very hard to get back. Uh, you always want to be careful at that point. You don't want to. Evil is like, you know, evil is like a, 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 you know, it's like acid. Don't touch. You know, just just don't touch. Go the other way. Just just be careful. So if you kind of get that, um, maybe maybe we can kind of think these things through. So point four maybe on page thirty. A couple of quick rubrics so we share a common base going forward. You've got you to gotta have a common base, otherwise you can't understand each other. The best law and gospel is specific law and gospel, or somebody said to me very clearly, there's no nameless, faceless theology. That's exactly right. Whether you know it or not, that's what your pastors do all day long. They try to put face and name with law and gospel. That's all we do, and if you just let us do that, the, the more you let us do that, the better church you're going to have, Okay. So there's no nameless, faceless theology. I'm, I made this mistake early in my, early as a pastor, and I'm going to try not to make it anymore, which is I would say to my elders occasionally, somebody told me or somebody said, um, I've really found that to be, I didn't realize it when I was younger, but I have come to realize it now. That's really um, inimical to a good congregational life. Um, I, with the other pastors, have gotten to the point where if somebody doesn't put a name with a face with a complaint or a charge, our answer is, it didn't happen. Because here's the thing, my perception, if perception is going to be reality, then my perception gets to be honored as much as anybody else's. What we don't realize when we say perception is reality is that everybody has a different perception, and then you can never reason together, which destroys the church, destroys any community. It was like this when I was at um, graduate seminars at Princeton. I was very, very disadvantaged by being a white middle-class male because um, the people who had the most status were the people who'd suffered most. And then people would go around the table and make a case for having suffered because they had black skin, or they grew up in the Philippines, or both their parents had died, or they had AIDS, or they were gay, or pick something. So whoever could stir up the most victimization was then the most favored. But you see, it was all internalized. Because um, it's, it's very much like when people write me and say, you don't understand what I'm going through. You know, in my head, my answer always is, you have no idea what I understand because you have no idea about my life. You have no idea about my childhood, where I grew up, where I lived. And it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant, you see, beyond a little bit of insight that that, that, that generates. So. The point is, everything in Christianity is an external rubric. There's an external value. You can't internalize it. It is this external Jesus that you pulled into. And it's extraordinarily important. If you want to say something in the church, um, you can't plead that you're afraid. You know, you can't plead that, um, 
you know, that, that something will happen to you. You can't plead cowardice. You can't plead anything. And I, this is a mistake I made early even here. And um, it's important, I think, together that we don't make that because that's the sort of thing that does shatter community. Um, it's its own form of difficulty. It's the way you, the way you, you know, it's just like you're, when you're married. If you hide things from your spouse, you know, your marriage is just the poorer for it. Um, uh, secrets always destroy. So um, it's very important that, it, that, that this is a very good insight that theology always takes um, specific long gospel. The problem is, is it's extraordinarily uncomfortable. I'm sure that it was not comfortable for Paul to say to his congregation, you're a bunch of fools. I mean, even in 2 Corinthians, he says, I made you cry and I cried and I don't even want to visit again. I'm glad I didn't come back to you because I'd have made you cry again. You know, there's First and Second Corinthians, but they think that's really First and Third Corinthians. There was a lost book in between um, because of the references there, and that's not impossible. There's nothing anti-Bible about that. It just means either that didn't rise to the stature of being inspired by the Holy Spirit, or you know, books could be lost along the way. Maybe we don't have all the books. Lutherans have always kept the canon open. Okay, so here's the thing: um, it's very uncomfortable for your pastor to say to you. And it's very uncomfortable for, for, for you to say to your pastor, I'm sure, you know, which is why it's extraordinarily important that that's always done face-to-face -face and with data, not somebody said or I heard from somebody. Because most of the time, um, that data is all wrong and usually for some form of manipulation or getting your way. Sometimes it's misunderstanding, but mostly in the church it's not. So um, everything in the light, and you can hold me to that. But I also get to hold you to it, okay? So point six, everything can be said two ways, long gospel. In Eden, there's a single word. If you can just, if you'll just absorb this, uh, your thinking will just clean right up. So this is just, this is how easy long gospel is and how hard. Jesus. If you're with him, it's gospel. If you're against him, it's law. He burns against you as law. He burns for you as gospel. He really wants it to be gospel, so let him have it. So if you turn the page then, 31. Law means to be running against the word. And you notice I put capital W, um, you know, and by that I mean Christ. There was a Christ before there was a scripture. You know, so often in, especially in Wheaton, places where you prove the Bible out, there's a text and then there's a Christ. It's the wrong order. There was a Christ and then two or 4,000 later, two, two or 4,000 years later, there was a scripture, okay? So it's extraordinarily important. So here it is. And if somebody would um, look up, somebody want to look up those, those three passages? Can somebody do that? Somebody look up the first Peter? Just raise your hand a second. Will you read it? Somebody, can anybody find first Peter? Can you find it? It's in the back, Fred. It's in the back there. If you can find Galatians, somebody want to read? No, I'm serious. Here's the thing. When was the last time you said all the books of the Bible? Fred, you had, a, you had a good education. You grew up saying the books of the Bible, didn't you? Right? And then the hippies took over and they sang it. My kids all sang it, okay? They didn't learn that in your class, Miss Stuff. I'm not saying you're a hippie, okay? No, I didn't, I didn't say that, okay? But if this, well, Rob, can you look up, find, can you find Galatians for me? Uh, can you do that for me? Come on now. No Bible? There you go, man. I'll give you one. It's, it's, it's kind of a curse when you have things memorized, isn't it? There you go. So you, don't look at the margin comments. Or if there's a picture, although you're a drawer. You do, yeah. Yeah, hold on there. Then she, hey, you know what? So Betty's faster than you. That's the first thing you have to worry about. <laughs> and then uh, just find, find Romans instead, okay? Well, I know, it's an old friend. I, you know, I don't know what to do. Actually, actually, Hebrews falls out from time to time. Put it back in if it goes wrong, okay? Nothing in Hebrews you need to know anyway, apparently. Okay, just go with it. 
All right. So if you, can just, if you can just simplify your terms, sin is nothing better than you say, I've got a better idea than God. Now, now be careful. It's not sin, not, not that I've got a better idea than you or you've got a better idea than me. One of the things that's going to be really important in this is, and you notice that Paul and James, are, they talk a lot about principle and strategy. We can't disagree on principle, what, what Christ is or who he is or what he means. Strategy, we can disagree all day long. You know, strategy, you disagree all day long about strategy in a nice way, Okay. So sin is as simple as, I've got a better idea than God. I probably should have put than God in there. I thought you would absorb that from the Adam and Eve code. But, but here's the other thing, and this is where sometimes when I speak at the seminary, or give this lecture for pastors, they get all nervous because they think I'm saying the law is a bad thing. One word fulfills the law, Christ. Okay, it's a, it's a seminary question they ask you sometimes. You go, Nate, give one word that fulfills both the law and the gospel, Christ. Actually, love does too, but Christ is love. Okay, so um, the law is a good thing. Do not hear me saying the law is a bad thing. Nevertheless, the effect on us is very difficult. You got it? First Corinthians, or First Peter 3, 1, 5, 1 15, what does it say? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So it's a stunningly difficult text that's repeated from Leviticus, which is, you might have, if you had a King James pastor growing up, be holy as I'm holy. And that's just a... Boy, you want to wake up in the morning and have a bad day? Be holy as I'm holy. But, you know, there it is in the New Testament after Christ, so we've got to think about that. Betty, what do you got there? Showing off getting to Galatians 3.10 really fast. There you go. That's all I need. That's all I need there. I know you got more, but I can only take small doses, Betty. That's all I can take, because it's a lot of law there. I'm feeling a little, little, little slim today, so be gentle with me, okay? A little pastoral care, what do you say? So be holy, and if you think you're holy, you always come up short, and then, young wool rob, you got Romans 6.23. Coming up short means 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That's all you need to know. Sin pays us wages and death. So it's holiness, you're short, and now you're dead. Congratulations. <laughs> you want to live under the law? I mean, be my guest, I guess, but, uh, you know, that is a tough, heavy, horrible way to live. Now, here's the thing. Because it's painful when we talk about the law. I mean, it was painful for Paul to say, you're foolish. It's painful for James to say, all right, look, you have church. And you put your rich people in the front, you put your poor people in the back. Why do you do that? Or 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you come to the Eucharist, you feed the rich people, and they eat, and there's no food left. And the poor people who never get to eat, they starve. Why do you do that? That's not, that's not pleasant for anybody to say. But here's the thing. If you turn your head from that and don't root it out, it just keeps going. It's like, it's like anything else in your own life or your own family. If you, don't, if you don't root sin out, a couple things happen. One is it grows, and two, the Lord at some point won't bless you if you continue to be in manifest sin. He just won't. If you just ignore him year, day after day, year after year, he just, he just, at some point, he just pulls back from that. You see it when, G, when the Lord pulls back from the Israelites in the Old Testament. You see it when Jesus tells people to do things, you're going to hear this now in Lent because he's very busy trying to get on the cross. He says to a lot of people, would you come along and would you do this? And they kind of, people who sort of hum and haw, he just keeps going. Now they can see him for a while, but there's some point where he gets over the horizon and then they're left all by themselves. That's really a horrible sort of thing. So it's very important, and I gave you this, this quote from uh, uh, Lactantius, uh, divine institutions. It's better to tear open our wounds and pour out the things that would destroy us. 
It's better just to face up to it. You know, no one can heal these wounds, but God who made the lame walk restored to sight. Cleanse the impure limbs and raise the dead. It's why you examine yourself. It's why you go to confession. It's why you have a confessor, because self-deception is one of our prime virtues as human beings. So you can't just, you can't just, you can't just shove it down. You can't just act like it didn't happen. Um, you can't hurt somebody, and then if they say something about it, act like you're hurt in return. Uh, but I will also say, and I'm, I'm pulling a lot of threads together, but you're a pretty sophisticated group, so you know, I th- I'm hoping this is all review. With the Matthew 18 thing, which refuses to let anything be gossip and anything not be face-to-face, you really have to decide the things you want to, you know. The Catechism says we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. So my life every day is sinful. I sin with every work I do. Every work I've got is sinful. There are some of those that, um, you know, it just is, it's maddening, but it is what it is to be human. There are some of those that really hurt people and they need to be engaged. It's the same for you. You know, you do things that, it's just a mark of being human. You don't think about somebody when you should, you know, you have an unkind word when you, you know. But you really have to, in your own life, you have to try to figure out, if you chase every sin, you're a pietist, and you never get anything done because you sin all the time. The other side is, is being a Pharisee, which is you always act like nothing happened. That didn't really happen. That didn't really happen to you. You didn't really get hurt. Nothing really happened there. We're not going to talk about it. In between is the inside of Christians who decide which things need to be torn open and which things were just somebody having a bad day. And it's extraordinarily important to know the difference between those two. And you're not always going to get it right. But what you want to, what you want to do is have enough graciousness with your fellow Christians that you sort of, if you have to go talk to somebody, one, you better be right, and two, it better rise to the level of a pretty healthy sin. Okay? Because most Christians know that they sin every day, and it's horribly difficult for you to go tell somebody, and it's horribly difficult for them to hear, and um, it's not only important to be right at that point, it is important to be good, and you better be just loaded with forgiveness as you come out of that. Um, later, I haven't... Uh, I know, Dave, you're right there in Romans. Um, you were. Can you get? Can you pull up Romans five twelve for me? I think this is something that many people who are big law and gospel people don't understand. Sometimes, and I, I think many Christians don't understand that. You think? I, I think you think. I think you think that, that your sins are this high, and that Jesus comes and it's like this, and it's a zero sum game. So you think since the beginning of time there are two and a half billion sins and what Jesus does on the cross is erases two and a half billion the problem is that's not the gospel just read me this and then we'll quit I'm sorry we're so late 512 therefore sin came into the world through one man so sin comes through one man Adam go ahead and death through sin death comes so we already did that you know you sin you die go so death spread to all men because all men sin good Good. But that's not what I want. I must have been sinning when I gave you that text. Um, let me see my text for just a second. You can tell that I read like a road map. I drive like this too. Uh, at the end of this, I'm sorry I didn't give you the right text. 
Romans 5, uh, 20. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You, don't, you can't get it in the English, but sin increased is a, is a number for addition. 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2. Your sins stack up by addition. Here's the cool thing. Grace abounds. In English, they don't know how to say it, but abounds all the more means multiplication. It's two mathematical terms. Sin stacks up by addition. 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2. That's 8. Grace abounds by multiplication. 2 times 2 is 4. Times 2 is 8. Times 2 is 16. Times 2 is 32. When you get 10 sins, grace is 32. Got 12 sins, grace is 64. Isn't that cool? So the point of that is that grace kind of floods the landscape, and the normal default of Christians is to live by grace. But living by grace doesn't mean ignoring your sins. It means figuring out which sins are important to be confessed, addressed, operated on. And then it means to have the courage to put a face with those sins. If it really rises that way, you go to people face to face, Matthew 18. And when you're done with that, you know, the Jesus way is you've got two or three times more grace going on than you've got sin going on. And I guess the bigger the sin, the bigger the grace. So if you think it's a really a, a big sin, um, gosh, there's going to be exponentially more grace attached to that. Well, there's no different. There's, there's not. I, there's not difference in sins. Well, there are, there are some different. The question is, she thought there was no difference in sin. Not in the sense that they damn you. You know, one little sin damns you. But I'm, I'm kind of moving past the damnation point to talk about how it fits in our community together. So here's the thing, Betty. There is actually a difference between a sin if I say something bad about you or if I hit you over the head with a baseball bat. You know, there's some difference in how that works. Or, or, or Paul talks about fleshly, fleshly sins sometimes really get after us. A child who's abused, for example, sexually abused, that's a great, that has a, that's a sin that has consequences for a lifetime as opposed to a mother who says to a child, I hate you when you act like that. You know, that's a very different kind of sin, even though they're both kind of sins, right? So... If I'm trying to push you, I'm trying to, and I've been trying to do this the whole time, I'm trying to presume forgiveness, and I'm trying to push you into the Christian life, and it looks different. Presume forgiveness, and I'm trying to see what the Christian life looks like, and it doesn't translate quite so easily, so it takes a little more care, you've got to be a little more deft with it, we've got to look around at it, and you've got to ask questions like that, okay? Um, next week, I mean, there's a couple things I want to talk about. One is what your pastor is good for, because I'm not sure... Um, we haven't been very strong in that as Lutherans. The other thing I want to talk about is what authority looks like and um, what's the difference between authority and power. Um, and maybe even when you listen to your pastor and when you don't. And how do pastor and lay people interact? Those are all live questions at a point where you have a lot of stress in a congregation. We have stress just by the fact the way the economy's working. We have stress because people are very you know, nervous and uncomfortable. We have kind of big plans, and those are affected by... People and people are affected by the economy and jobs and all that kind of stuff. So what we have to do is we got to review sort of what the rubrics are for how we live together. And it's extraordinary and important, but it's very important, at least for today, honesty, nose to nose, engaging sin when you have to, face to face, privately first, before it's public, public if you have to, but that's very rare. That's very rare. Most of you have never experienced an excommunication, you never will. 
But you can, I was just thinking today that gossip is very much like jury tampering. It's the church's, it's, the, it's ecclesiastical jury tampering, which is you get out and you rig the jury before uh, the, the trial is held. Just kind of ponder that a little bit. Um, and so sometimes we have to review what it means to live together, and, and uh, that'll kind of help us flourish as we go forward, even in difficult times. You're proved out by how you act in difficult times. All of us are. So we need to be up to that challenge. Okay, thanks for your time. I'll see you next week. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you very much. I'll see you next time.